You're listening to the Go Global, Go Big podcast, powered by Globig. We cover topics designed to accelerate your global expansion. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is safe harbor, and this is October 2015, so there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions around what exactly is going on and what companies should do about it. I've invited Jessica Hoyt, the Director of International Law and Regulation here at Globig, to join us for this podcast. Jessica, welcome. Good afternoon. I'm excited to talk about such an important topic. It's absolutely. It's such a hot topic right now, and and before we get into what exactly is going on, let's take a step back and, and just make sure everyone is clear on what exactly is Safe Harbor and why should people be concerned about this? So Safe Harbor is a negotiated framework between the EU and the United States. The EU Data Protection Directive does not allow the transfer of personal data to a country outside of the European Union unless that country has adequate data protection measures in place. And the EU has determined that the United States does not have adequate data protection laws in place. So this is a negotiated framework that was designed to facilitate the transfer of data between the United, uh, European Union and the United States. Under this framework, American companies can self-certify that they comply with the safe harbor framework, which essentially is that they're complying with European privacy standards. Once a company is self-certified, they can legally transfer data between the, the EU and the United States. So, so what exactly do we mean about with data transfer? So are we talking about any name, any email, any any time you have a customer that goes to your site, or you know what what exactly is you know is considered data? Data is anything. Um, it can be personal, like an email. It can. There is also um, sensitive data, which would include any kind of health information, um, social security numbers, and uh, numbers like that. But yeah, any data, credit card information that is transferred um, from one place, the EU, to another, in this case, the U.S., is what we're talking about. So really, if you have a customer that is based in the EU, you are already collecting data, and that would include you. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. If you have a customer that is buying a product or a service, you obviously are going to be getting their name, probably an email address, credit card information, possibly a shipping address, and that's all data that you are transferring. Interesting. So really, it applies to most um, digital companies. So anyone doing business with uh, individuals or other companies within the EU. So I would imagine that's a lot of companies. I've seen somewhere over 4,000, maybe close to 5,000 companies that we're self-certifying through this safe harbor agreement are really now kind of in limbo. Um, what exactly is the status of safe harbor right now? Um, so the decision came out a couple of weeks ago now, and the EU has ruled that the safe harbor framework is not adequate and valid to protect the privacy rights of EU citizens. Right. And 
a lot of U.S. companies have maybe not taken this as serious as it probably should be taken, and and certainly in the EU. You know, data privacy and personal privacy is considered a human right, so it's really high on their level of importance. What's made the sense of urgency so critical? Like, what's going on right now that's making everyone a little bit nervous, and why do they, you know, why is everyone scrambling to come up with some alternatives to this? Well, what led to this decision was the um, government surveillance, the U.S. government surveillance, particularly of um, it's not just U.S. citizens now, it's the data that we, we collect and transfer and store in the United States, which is data from citizens around the world. So because um, of this government surveillance, we are now looking at these privacy issues more closely, particularly because the, U- the European Union places such a high importance and value on privacy of individuals. Absolutely. Um, There was some information that came out just this past week mentioning that the EU is actually going to kind of turn on the heat, if you will, um, and come up with some approach for mass enforcement and possibly fines and some sort of litigation as well. So that means there's only a few months left to really come up with some sort of uh, option. Is that correct? Yes, you're correct. Um, basically, the EU and the U.S. are negotiating again a safe harbor 2.0, if you will, um, to try to come up with a solution that is adequate in the eyes of the EU. And uh, the EU has said that if they have not come up with a solution by the end of January next year, that's 2016, enforcement will begin Um, And I think that the enforcement will be more strict than it has been in the past. Absolutely. So what are some of the effects of this decision for some of the larger companies? Like, what are they doing with this information now? A lot of the larger companies, especially some of the cloud services, uh, Amazon, Google, Facebook, larger companies have obviously seen this coming and Um, the world has seen this coming, but they have already put in place other mechanisms and they're ready to go now. But for smaller companies, uh, it's still being determined how that's affecting them and what they can do to um, find a solution that would be feasible for a smaller company. What are some of those options? How you know, how do you get more information about that? And, and are they really great options for a small to mid-sized company? Right now, the two types of alternative mechanisms that are being explored the most are model clauses or standard contractual clauses and binding corporate rules. Of course, consent works in some jurisdictions, um, but the two that we are talking about Uh, for the most part, are model clauses and binding corporate rules. So let's take uh, each one of those and and kind of talk a little bit about the pros and cons and and what exactly they are and how long they take to implement and what some of the solutions would be so companies can kind of think in terms of which one may be the best one for them to consider. Okay, well, so... Um, consent, as I said, is um, basically asking the individuals for 
permission to transfer personal data from the EU to the United States. Consent is hard because a lot of uh, the different data protection authorities in throughout the EU um, have different rules that they would apply to consent. Uh, I think consensus is that it has to be freely given, specific, informed, and unambiguous, but defining those terms is different in each country. And also, a lot of countries do not allow consent. So um, that's why we're mostly looking at the other models, uh, the other um, mechanisms, uh, which include model contracts and binding corporate rules. So looking at model, model contracts, um, those are essentially templates that have been negotiated by the U.S. Department of Commerce and the European Commission. And those are contracts that are not negotiable, not alterable in most senses, and um, they would give American companies the right to legally transfer personal data from the EU to the U.S. Interesting. So is there... So these are already set up. There Are there several different versions or is there really one version and then there's some sort of section where you are, you clearly articulate what exactly you're doing or, you know, how do those work? Um, you can find model uh, contracts online. The European Commission has some. I know the Information Commissioner's Office in the UK has been using model contracts and uh, there are a couple of different versions. The most current is from 2004. It's um, set two of the European Commission model contracts. And there are contracts for controller-to-controller controller data transfer and controller-to-processor data transfer. Um, those are different, but the contracts are very similar. And most countries, UK, for example, will not allow you to change the template. Basically, it's a fill-in-the-blank um, that's not very law-specific, um, but it's a fill-in-the-blank document that you would sign. And by signing this, what you're really doing is just agreeing to follow whatever the best practices are or the laws are by that country or by the EU. And are there really specific guidelines as to what those are? Um, you're correct. It is a... Um, agreement to follow the laws and it is country specific. So if this is the route you take, then you're likely to have to sign multiple contracts because you would have to sign one in each country that you're doing business with. And you are agreeing to follow the, the laws, the data protection laws of that country, um, which may differ between countries. So it is a little bit of um, an onerous uh, process and way a solution. But correct me if I'm wrong, this is the path that many of the larger companies have chosen to go with the model contracts. Is that correct? Yes, you are correct. Um, the model contract route is a more short-term short solution, and it's um, a faster solution. Binding corporate rules um, is a very long process, much longer than model contracts in general. Um, so that's the route a lot of the companies right now are taking. Interesting. Let's talk a little bit about binding corporate rules and then 
something I'd like to talk a little bit about is is the level of confidence that you find out there, you know, listening to different pundits and the different government sources uh, as to whether they believe that we'll be able to resolve this within this really short time frame, or if companies really should prepare to go down one of these other two paths. So let's chat. Let's start first with binding corporate rules. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so binding corporate rules are um, basically a set of rules that a corporation puts in place within its corporation um, to allow the transfer of personal data outside the EU um, to the U.S. in this situation. So these are for big multinational corporations, and these rules will apply throughout the corporation, um, all of the corporate groups within that corporation. Um, the binding corporate rules can take a very long time to get past, get through, um, but they will be applicable to more than one country. So basically you would choose one country, maybe your headquarter um, could be United Kingdom or Ireland, and you will start the process there. And once your application is in, that will be given to other countries, whichever countries you choose, so that it can be approved in more than one place. Uh, the a very straightforward application would probably take 12 months. The one um, positive to binding corporate rules is that it is a more long-term fix and it can be cheaper in the long run because you would have very high upfront costs, but, as, but when you're done with this um, and everything is approved, you would be done with it and it is more flexible. So it would allow your company to make some adjustments and changes in the way they, they use and um, transfer data without having to come up with a new um, set of rules. Uh, model contracts are opposite in that those are specific for different vendors in each specific country. So in the long run, you may have a, a lot more contracts that you're signing, so it could cost you a lot more money. Now, if your data is all within one company, then it seems like the long-term solution for binding corporate rules might be the best path to go down. But if it's with, if your data is transferred between other vendors and you are using services to enhance yours, um, it seems like model contracts may be the only real alternative. Is that correct? Yes, it's probably the most feasible for any small to medium-sized company. But again, it's by country, so you know that makes it a little more challenging as well. Yes, um, but if you are a smaller company and you don't do business in all of the countries in the EU, you only handle a couple of countries, it might be a good way for you to move forward. Mm -hmm, absolutely. What about as a smaller, and now, so if you're a small to mid-sized company, and, and I guess that's fairly flexible in what exactly that means. And you're working with well-known, larger established uh, hosting companies. So for example, let's say your servers are on Amazon Cloud, so you use AWS, and then you use you know, different companies for like Google Analytics, and then you use you know, really some sort of um, transactional email service like a SendGrid or Mandrill or how do you kind of w walk through that? How do you identify, you know, the different things you need to know to understand exactly what, um, say, you know, Safe Harbor would have done for that? And, and how does all of this apply now to those scenarios? Because I think for most, the most part, most smaller companies are really comprised of a number of different 
vendor sources, if you will. Yeah, they probably are. First and foremost, you need to remember and understand that you as your organization are always going to be responsible for the data that you are that you are processing, even if you are not the one who processes it. So having reputable um, vendors and suppliers that are on top of this is very important. And I would say the number one thing you need to do is to speak with your suppliers and vendors to find out what they have done um, since the decision came out to um, find a solution or to create a solution. You know, it's interesting in that they, I think that there's, based on what I've read there, the U.S. is saying that they regulation, so or say, you know, the safe harbor framework is inadequate, but the EU is actually saying that it's illegal. Those are very, very different perspectives, right? So as a company, I would assume that it's best to go the most conservative route and assume that you must make a change, even if, you know, the U.S. is saying that you may not have to, or I think that you should really cover your company and cover your bases just to be careful and just to be cautious. Uh, would you consider that a, a safe approach? Yes, I would always say you should go with the more, more strict and more narrowly tailored laws, because that way um, you're always in compliance with the other laws. If you have laws that are less strict, looser, you're still going to be in compliance with those laws, but you make sure you're in compliance with the strict laws as well. What is the the current um, state of, of the situation? Like, based on all the conversations out there, do you see this being resolved in the next three months before uh, some of this mass enforcement takes place? Or is this a much longer negotiation? And are we even close to agreeing on, you know, the different contentious areas of, of inadequacy, if you will? You know, actually, it, it did. the negotiations did not just start. They've been going on for a while, um, probably at least a year now. So they've been slow as um, many of these types of government negotiations go. But because the decision finally came down, I think a lot of companies will be pushing both, go, you know, both governing bodies to try to come up with a solution because we can't just shut down the internet and e-commerce. So um, they basically, at this point, have someone writing them to come up with a decision. Absolutely. You know, one of the, the areas I think that's really the most challenging is, is since the Patriot Act was enforced, it's um, the U.S. government always believes that it has the right to look through data and to make sure that our, you know, safe, if there's any sort of a safety risk or that sort of thing. And, and whereas the EU doesn't see it the same way and that they don't necessarily want to give those rights. And are we closer in agreeing that there may be some middle ground in this or is it really all black and white in that sense? You know, I'm not sure that there will be a middle ground per se because the United States certainly um, is always going to protect its national security interests and it's defining those very broadly today. But I will say that 
it's not just the government that does surveillance. So um, those are maybe things that we need to start discussing and should be uh, in everybody's minds is that um, we're not doing things that aren't done elsewhere necessarily. We just got caught. Absolutely. There's plenty of information showing that the EU governments are, they have similar national security programs and protocols in place. And, and, and it's just a matter of having really clear guidelines as to when that data can be accessed and, you know, exactly why that might trigger the ability to you know access that data. And I think that those things have been missing in the safe harbor kind of negotiations. And, and since there really wasn't any, uh, there were no requirements that allowed um, a lot of things to happen that were really uncomfortable for both sides, for both countries. Well, certainly. And the two issues, national security and individual privacy, are both very important issues. So it's very hard to juggle and to come up with a middle ground on that type of um, importance anyway. Absolutely. Um, is there anything uh, else that we would like to cover on this or really have we come to a point where there's just still so much that's changing week to week and we really should take a look at having this sort of a podcast uh, every every time there's some sort of new information? Is there anything else that we would want to make sure that our listeners know about currently versus speculation? You know, I would say that everybody needs to make sure that they are considering this issue um, right now, not putting it off to wait until a solution has been formed. People need to, particularly small and medium-sized companies, need to start looking at what data they process, how it's being processed, why it's being processed, and working with their suppliers and vendors to make sure that what they are doing is um, following along with the more strict laws in the EU. because. Um, Enforcement is not going to be taken against companies who are doing what they can right now and in the future to protect the you know privacy rights of EU of every citizen. Absolutely, I think that's a really good um, note to end the podcast on because I think that's absolutely right. Uh, so everyone out there, you know, make sure you understand what it is you're collecting, why, and what each vendor is responsible for, and make sure those vendors are also following the EU guidelines as well as anything within your company. So thank you everyone for joining today. Thank you, Jessica, for this really, really great, um, informative um, podcast and certainly appreciate having you and we look forward to the next session. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone.